Hello folks, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is supported by your gifts, but it's brought to you out of the heart of two ministries. One is Church Partnership Evangelism, where I've been the executive director for over 30 years. We're a disciple-making ministry among the nations. To learn more, go to traincpe.org. The other sponsoring ministry is the Bread of Life Fellowship, where I'm the Bible teacher. We meet in the Old White Church in the Warm Springs area of Boise for worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. Please, when you're able, feel free to come and worship with us. Now, we turn to God's Word in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and we find John the Baptist preparing people for the coming of the Savior Jesus in a call to repentance. It's a hearty repentance he's calling for, not a simple change of mind, but a change that goes at the sin problems in our lives. The deep valleys of our sins are to be filled up. The mountain of our self-pride is to be pulled down. The twisted thinking of our depraved minds and our self-justifying minds are to be put straight, and the rough places of our habituated selfish behavior is to be smoothed out. Such a work of repentance is impossible, and that's just the point. God's call to repentance is a call to be something we cannot begin to become without God's help. The repentant person isn't conducting a work to save themselves. They are responding in faith, believing God has come through Jesus Christ to save them and make them into something they could never be without Him. So the road is not rough for Him to come and bring His salvation, present and work His salvation in our lives. And if you don't know about those passages, but you've grown up in a home where your mother or your wife knows those passages, you've heard them right? They've shared them with you. How many times did our parents sit us down and read us some, some word from the Proverbs to address some area of your life? How many times has someone had read to them James 1.19? Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. There's all kinds of passages like that. Warning against being crude or lazy or not providing for your family or being unkind or not being thoughtful or not being clean, etc., etc., etc. They go on. We are most prone to give these rough places in our life the pass. Oh, God, well, I want you to deal with those deep, grooved sins in my life. And, oh, God, I, I even want you to deal with the pride in my life. I don't want to trust in myself or my salvation. And, and oh, God, I, I do want you to help me think differently. I want your truth. But, you know, these things, well, they're, they're just always going to be around. They're, they're who I am. Maybe because deep down inside we think that it's impossible that change can be brought to these points in our life. That these are the most pernicious things. The things that hold on to us. Actually the things that define us the most. But these two we must believingly repent of. We must believe that God can smooth out these areas in our life. We must believe that God can take these very things and work in us so profoundly that they'll be unrecognizable by a generation that might come towards the end of our life or as God has worked through those areas in our life. And all of a sudden they'll start, there'll be a generation that rises up that didn't know our past, somebody who hasn't, you know, in the past read all those statements to us and they've never heard about our bad habits and they might say just the opposite of what was said of us before. We have to believe that God can do that in our life. Here's our application. Valleys of sin, mountains of self and pride, Crooked ways of self-justification and self-vindicating thought. Rough ways of coarseness. These reveal the very places where King Jesus has come to address our lives. 
His salvation was meant to come and impact us in all these places. Hold on to them, don't turn for them, and they become obstacles that keep you from the king's saving work. Our sin, our pride, our prejudices, our crude selfishness can inhibit. If we don't turn for them, and faith, believing that God can deliver us from these things, will keep us from the salvation he wants to bring to us. By the way, when we don't turn from this thing, it doesn't just impact us. When we turn from these things, we not only create a highway through which God can continue to bring his salvation to us. That's how it initiates. First, God brings his salvation to me because I recognize that all these things are a portrait and picture of my brokenness and my separation from the God of life. And I turn from them. God, I, I turn from all these things. I don't know if I want to give a self-example of this, but I will for just a moment. I believe that the thing that really held me as a young man was a pharisaical pride. And a day came when God revealed to me the awful sinfulness of my pride. And what rose to my heart was a word of repentance. It was, oh God, I don't want to be Joel Van Hoogen anymore. I don't want to be that person at all. That's repentance. But the very cry also was a cry that said, oh God, I believe you. That you can do exactly that. That you can totally transform my identity. That might be so wrapped up in you that it would be God and it would be Christ in me and not myself. So we have to address these things. And the person who truly repents, believingly repents, repents with the belief that God can ultimately deal with all these things in our life. In fact, that's what a salvation does. It takes away my sin and it, it removes and dismantles my pride and it comes and it begins to give me a mind that can think the right things and have a clear understanding of God's will and God's way and it begins to smooth out my life. And by the way, when that happens and we have that attitude, the road just maintains an openness so God can continue to come and minister to us over and over again. Development and expression of that salvation as it expands and grows in our life. That's what sanctification is. And actually, when you live in that way, that kind of believing, repenting life, what happens is your life not only becomes a roadway through which God can bring his work in your life, but it becomes a roadway through which God can work in the lives of others. Speak these truths and promise these hopes and give these words of hope and promise to others. This is the way of a believing repenter. But, again, I'll just point out to you, you're believing in the impossible. Because you can't fill up the valley of your sin. You can't tear down the mountain of your pride. You can't somehow transform your mind to think the right thoughts all by yourself. And you certainly can't, you certainly can't knock off the rough edges of your life just by your own effort. God has to do all these things. God works all these things. And yet this is exactly what God has promised us, right? God has promised us that when we believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as our Savior, that at that very moment he washes and forgives us of all of our sin. He breaks all of the chains so they have no bondage over us and they have no claim on us. He gives us a transforming life so that if anyone is a Christ, he's a new creature, old things have passed away and everything has become new. He fills in that valley completely with his own life and his own goodness and his own righteousness. The Bible also teaches us that when we have this kind of faith that Christ comes, the king comes and lives in us, but the king expresses himself in that humble act of coming to live in our heart. Realize that when Jesus comes to live in your heart and dwell in you by faith, that he is actually coming in a humble act to occupy your life and he begins to live that humility out from you so that he exalts himself and he glorifies himself, and he sets down, and he, through his work and through his power, he allows you to put to death through the Holy Spirit all the things that are done in your own flesh and all your own self-interest. 
He allows you to fulfill the desire, and he actually puts a desire in your heart that John the Baptist had. John said, I must decrease, and he must increase. So he brings to us, and he produces in us a humility, a wonderful and profound humility. And in the same way, he renews our minds. As I believe and trust in the Lord Jesus, he begins to bring a renewing to my mind and my thoughts. So in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, John tells us that when a person receives Christ, he receives an anointing from God in which they're given wisdom from God. Here, let me read to you verse 27, 1 John 2. To the believer who has received Christ as Savior, but the anointing you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone should teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. <laughs> God begins by his Holy Spirit to give you an understanding and a wisdom that helps you recognize the lies that you've surrounded in your life and to recognize the truth. And that anointing comes to you from God. Paul says in Romans 12, 3, that what it is, it's the renewing or transforming of your mind. He does it in our lives. He gives that to it. He works that in our lives. Paul also says that Christ is made in saving us. Christ has made to us a number of things. But one of the things he says Christ has made to us is wisdom. Christ has made to us wisdom. James tells us that if we lack wisdom, we can ask of God and they'll give it to us and he won't scold us that we didn't have it before. He gives us wisdom. It's one of the great promises of our salvation. Christ gives us wisdom. He begins to unravel the convoluted thought of our minds so that we think differently than what's put into us and stamped in upon us by our age. And then also, the rough places, he begins to smooth out. I believe all those Verses in the New Testament where you have commands against crude language that you should use or not stealing or not being lazy or working and all those things. I don't believe that it's just a bunch of proverbial prescriptions saying these are the things if you're a Christian you have to do. I think what it's saying is as a Christian these are the things God wants to do in you. These are the very areas that God wants to and God is ready and working and if you'll believe me, addressing your life right now. He wants to make your mouth a mouth that when it opens up speaks words only of edification to people. He wants to work in your life in such a way that you don't defraud people with false promises where you're just promoting yourself before them to get the advantage over them. He wants to do all these things in your life and he can and he does. It's a promise. It's a picture. It's a portrait of Christ and how Christ wants to live his life out from us making the rough places smooth and it all becomes ours. It all becomes ours when we believe in him. Some years ago, I shared this illustration with you. It was a missionary who had gone to visit a little mountain town in Ecuador, and when he entered into this little village or town, it was this poor, filthy, dirty, dark, oppressed little village, and he spent a short period of time there as he was passing through, and he left without giving them much of a word or being able to communicate with them much truth at all, but he forgot one of the suitcases that he was carrying in that village. And that village found the suitcase, held it for a certain while, thinking he might return, but he didn't. So they opened it up, and inside of it, they found that it was full of tracts, gospel tracts, written in their language. They began to study them and read them, and a number of the individuals in that village, in fact, a significant number of the people in that village came to Christ. Years later, that missionary returned to find that same village clean and vibrant and productive and changed. Why? Because God does miracles. God does the impossible when we believe in him and trust in him. And so as God does this work in our lives, he not only makes a way to graciously express his salvation to us and in us, but he also begins to express his salvation through us to others. So that, and this is the last words in what we've been reading here, 
in Luke chapter 3, so that all flesh can behold in me. All flesh can behold in you the salvation of the Lord. Even so, Lord Jesus, do that in my life. Let's bow our heads. Here there must be an agreement. We must continue to grow where you found us. We must continue to exercise faith in the promises where you met us. You showed us our sin. We wanted to turn from our sins, but we turned from them believing, O oh God, that you could take our sins away. We who trusted in ourselves turned from ourselves, believing, O oh God, that you had an answer that was beyond us, and that all life and all hope was in you and you alone. By faith, O oh God, we recognize that all the lies we believed before were false and untrue, and we decided not to listen to them, but to listen to you. What drew people to John's word and to the act of a baptism of repentance was the promise that the king was coming and his salvation was ready to fall upon them. It was the hope and belief in that that made them abandon everything or want to. To rejoice in what you would provide. And oh, how sweeping and glorious is that salvation. And oh, how magnificent is our king. We praise you for that and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I want to extend to you a welcome to join our worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. in the Old White Church at 1023 East State Street in the Warm Springs area of Boise. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may God bless you.